0: Hey, well, good evening. Thank you guys for coming out. Different setup, and uh, I want to thank, uh, thank you guys uh, coming out in a different uh, format. But uh, we'll try to, try to be the same Monday night Bible study. Thanks, Barb, for getting us here. Eldon and Janice for getting everything set up. You guys, uh, this is your home church, so we, we thank you so much for going out of your way. In helping us be uh, continuing in our Bible study, because we would have had to try to figure out something else, and uh, this makes it uh, quite convenient. Uh, Yeah, outside's pretty cold out there uh, in the parking lot. So So
1: we can rearrange and figure
0: out. Yeah, can, can you guys hear me? Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. All right. Test. One, two. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we're we still in Genesis, believe it or not. And um, last week, we were in Chapter 3 dealing with the judgments. Uh, we we've, we've dealt with the judgment on the serpent and uh, judgment on Eve, and then we uh, dealt with the uh, judgment on Adam. And uh, when we see that also, as far as um, women were concerned, I want to uh, make sure that we get that clear on where I was at on that, I'm, I'm not so sure whether I left some women hanging and uh, they were going to hang me. So I want to make sure to uh, to clarify that where it said, yet your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. And I'm not going to try to make a, a whole night over that, but just to say that because of sin, uh, the repercussions and consequences come out of that And there are uh, relationships that are going to be much more difficult because of sin and one of those being at home and, of course, relationships with God and even relationships, well, with your own self. And so all relationships are going to be affected, and that's the way that uh, sin uh, does. And uh, when we look at this chapter and we see... uh, first of all, how God operates in mercy and grace and, and His great love that He has, it, it, it just amplifies who He is. But then we also see that there are uh, problems with mankind and we see the plight of the uh, history of mankind and in, all the way up to the present time. Here it is, all these thousands of years and we, uh, we know what sin does. And, uh, of course, Scripture gives us the answer for all that. Um, the desire that uh, that one has is now uh, vented in the wrong way. Rather than the desire to please God, we have a desire to please others. And so, therefore, uh, the desire for the lady to, to rule, a uh, desire for the man to rule in a way that is uh, dishonoring, disrespectful to, to women, the answer to that really was in Ephesians 5, and where it says women are to submit to men, but we're talking what uh, the kind of submission that would um, correlate with the Trinity, uh, that perfect submission, and only through the Holy Spirit can we do that. But it says in verse 22, wives be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. And that, uh, of course, is calling for the women and the men or the, the husbands to respond in the way that uh, God has uh, in mind. And that's only through Christ. And, uh, of course, it says here, here's the example. Um, you, you do as Christ did, He Himself being the Savior of the body. But just as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. And then the rest of the... Section there deals with the husbands. Love your wives just as so Christ also loved the church. That's quite a command, isn't it? Uh, matter of fact, it's impossible. But with uh, us being new creatures and the Holy Spirit, it is now being made possible. Love the church, he gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless." So that's quite the um, expectation for men and husbands, isn't it, as they treat their wives in that sense. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of His body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And here we go. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Sums it all up. And it's all a matter of being filled with God's Spirit and treating each other with uh, the kind of love. And of course, the husbands um, being the, the head are to uh, resemble Jesus Christ himself. What a kind of love? Great expectations there. Incredible. So I hope that balanced it off as we didn't really get to go there last week. And, uh, to make sure that things were right and I didn't get uh, things thrown at me this week. I thought I would read that section and try to balance it off. But uh, ever since we've seen mankind and womankind after sin, uh, they've had problems. Is that okay? Okay. okay with that? Okay? Alright. Um, now, what we're getting into tonight in verse 20 and verse 21 seems kind of strange after you come out of the judgments, out of the cursings. It almost seems like you have a couple of verses standing by themselves. Where it says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Uh, Kind of a a shift in gears almost, but it's really not. Uh, Sometimes when we see things that may look like they're standing by themselves and they don't belong there, Well, we know that God put that verse there for a reason and it's in the perfect spot and it's right where God wants it. And it's there for a purpose. And as we look at it and we really see that it does belong there, incredibly. Um, But we see that in verse 20 uh, is the faith that Adam has now uh, because of the promise of God. And then in verse 21 we're going to see justification by God uh, for Adam and Eve because of the atonement. So what you see in verse 20 is faith and in verse 21 you see the atonement or justification. You see that, um, of course, in the Reformation, what do you have? Justification by faith. Uh, we know that we are uh, we're saved by grace through faith, but we have to have faith as we are uh, justified. Uh, and what we're going to see is that, that this is a story of mercy. It's a story of grace. This is a story that uh, is incredible, what God does after their sin, then gives them their judgment, and then He comes back in 20 and 21 and we see that there is justification, there's redemption here. What a story. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this evening that we have. Uh, We're here to bring You glory. And uh, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to uh, continue on with uh, this Bible study that uh, you've blessed through so many years. And with uh, all of these people, it's uh, certainly a privilege to be able to uh, worship you, congregate together, and just get around to your word. It is special. And we thank uh, the Lord here for this particular church, E-Free Church, for uh, allowing us to, to use this room. Um, uh, for otherwise, it would have been a little more difficult to try to find a place to, to meet. So we're thankful for that. And as we go through your word tonight, uh, that uh, we would take these passages and see what you've done and your great mercy and grace and your love. And uh, we see just a great God uh, who, despite the sin of Adam and Eve, which represents all of mankind, represents us, we see that we have a need to be clothed with your righteousness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, verse 20 is um, something here where we'll definitely see something that's dealing with faith. Um, Adam is going to say something that ordinarily you would have thought, well, God already promised death, death to Adam and Eve if they would go against what his will was disobedience but we don't see that immediate death and what we do see is that there's a promise of life here now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living couple of words there that are dealing with life and uh, of course Eve is is one of them Eve is uh, Adam's name for his wife Um, it says Adam named her here uh, now, the man called his wife's name Eve. Um, not once have we seen this name before. We haven't seen the word Eve, have we? No. And uh, this is pretty significant. We've seen descriptions of her. We've seen her in different uh, descriptions, such as in uh, chapter 1. We'll go back to verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That's quite incredible, isn't it? Created in the image of God. Male and female, He created them. And so there, woman is called what? Female. She's female. Um, if we look in chapter 2, verse 18, she's referred to uh, in a different name or a, a different description. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So, a helper She's a helper. Helper suitable for him. And in chapter 2, uh, verse 22, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Very related to man there. The, the Hebrew word is very related to it. Um, we see that uh, it's, it's woman. Um, um, Isha, um, wife, woman, uh, wife is verse 24, next verse. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh. So another description. They're generic terms of uh, really kind of describing uh, what she's about not exactly her name there but Adam gives her a name called Eve and uh by the way we we know that Eve means what you guys know what Eve means life even life giver
1: um
0: in the Hebrew it is kava i want, I'm going to ask uh is how do you pronounce that do you know that's that's the uh, Close. Uh, it means life giver, or something of that nature. Definitely dealing with life.
2: There's something funny. He got put out in the, out in
0: the Yeah, out in the hallway. Do you remember those guys? Either that, or he's our hall monitor. Oh, He's the
2: bathroom.
0: He's a hall monitor. That's what it is. Okay, so now it's. We're not told here that God named. Her that, and it might have been possible that maybe God told Adam to name her that, but the man calls his wife's name Eve. If you want to stretch this out a little bit and find something interesting, and it may not, but go to chapter 5. I think you could say, here's God's name for her. In verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Adam, or man, coming out of the clay, the earth. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Now, watch this. He created them male and female. We've seen that before. And he blessed them, and look at this, and named them man, or Adam, in the day when they were created. He named them man. Of course, uh, that's a a name, and of course, Adam or Adam is uh, derived from that. It's mankind. Um, This is; these are human beings. But there's a name that's given. I think it's kind of fascinating. Yes.
3: Isn't um, Adam also closely related to the word Edom? Isn't it spelled the same in Hebrew? Um,
0: E E D O M. Yeah. Uh, You know what? I think it could be. I think that means red, hairy, uh, red, something like that, which.
1: The way
4: Josephus talked about it is he said that Not here. Um, he noticed that
3: perhaps also one reason why God named him Edom or Adam and called him that which is the same man but also that he was taken from the, the red clay.
0: Right. From the earth, the red yeah. red clay. Yeah. So it's related to that. Right. Yeah.
1: That's what right. that's what he said.
0: Very, very close in, in the Hebrew, close in the well, I guess in the English, really, when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, so she takes the name of her husband here, um, blessed them and named them man. Um, God is showing that, uh, and of course she came from her husband. <laughs> And so she she is identified with her husband totally here she has an identity of her own she's a, a uh definitely another individual, but there's a special feature in marriage and when you when you think of a wife, she takes the name of a husband usually uh and that's not always the case today where we hear it uh, the other way around, or they don't take the same name at all but anyway that's uh I think God sets forth something there, showing that uh, here they are as again as a as a unity. Uh, but there's definitely an identity there that she takes um, from from Adam. Anyway, you'd say, well, why why would Adam call her Eve? Let's say if God didn't tell him to name her that, we're, we're not told that it is it. All it says here in chapter three is that he names her that. And so you have to ask, well, okay, if God Um, is naming her part of being Adam there too why does he call her Eve? Well she's going to be a life giver and we've seen that the opposite was supposed to take place in that there was supposed to be death right? And now he is naming her Eve which is life a mother of all the living all the ones who are going to come afterwards where did he get that idea?
3: Because
0: and that goes back to our, uh, just a few verses back, right? Where he uh, spoke of the proto-evangelium. Um, and it's interesting, too, that he says the mother of all the living. And the way that most would take this, um, if we go in a sequence, we see in chapter 4 that there's a conception and there's Cain. Um uh, if, the, if that be the case and that sequence is there, she had no children at the time. There's Outside of Adam and Eve, it's it's those two.
5: You've got to realize that this was written two or 3,000 years after it took place. So whoever wrote it could easily have said she was the mother of all living because there would have been thousands of descendants by then.
0: Well it could be. Now you're ruining my whole my whole lesson. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that could very well be. I, I've seen where there are different um you know, different commentators have said different things on this.
5: What I've read was that Genesis was written somewhere between a thousand and eighteen hundred years ago. That puts it two or three thousand years after Genesis one one, or when Adam was created. So he could very easily say she was the mother of all living, even though at that time there was no other living.
3: Yeah. Well, it could have been his, his, you know, the writer's words that he, you know. Um, but you know. Yeah.
5: No, I don't know what you're saying.
3: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can, um, Paul mentions the name Eve in Second Corinthians, and then I think it's. Timothy, First Timothy or something. So, at least as far as her name, you know, that name given there, it, it carried over into the New Testament. You know.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: And, um, so, you know, I'm sure he was drawing on the the, you know, the original Torah for that. I looked it up. It's hawa.
0: There we go. See.
4: <laughs>
1: That makes me feel better. <laughs>
0: I can't even do. Yeah. It almost sounds like Hawaii, right?
3: That's probably kind of what he was gasping as he saw her. <laughs> wow. There we go. There was
0: well he was impressed. it just came out to say life, right? When like he just said it, yeah.
1: Okay.
0: He's gotta say it all the way. Too. Okay, and you but you remember fifteen. And this is why I think we see Adam change in his um belief of God maybe a little bit more than than he had because he had disobeyed um, if you look back in 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And then he says to the woman, and then he talks about multiplying pain and childbirth and pain, in children and such, and a family relationship there. Um, it, there's, there's definitely a dealing with the judgment of God and they had seen the judgment on the serpent and i'm sure whenever they saw the judgment on the serpent and he is now he was upright and now he's crawling on his belly god gives the curse there on him it's like they're saying well, what's god going to do with us you know what's going to happen here but here's the news of the deliverer in this 315 and we know that that's really pointing to the messiah that's a promise of a deliverer so they hear this he does give a judgment on them, but he doesn't put a, a death sentence on them right there. And I think there's a possibility that maybe Adam is now believing God for something that is to come because there has been quite a statement here talking about the enmity between um, the serpent and the woman and between the seed, which is ultimately the Messiah, and and, uh, and Satan's seed. Um If you look in chapter 4, verse 1, and this shows that they took to heart what God's promise was. Now, the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And what can be happening here is that she's looking and seeing that this is the one that's been promised. She's the one right right now from this, this seed. This is the one that she's understanding, and, and even, even Adam, as being the deliverer. And so if that's the possibility, uh, and I think they're taking from what God has said. If we have a sequence that's going here from chapter 3 into 4, it would make sense that He's thinking of Cain as being that one. This is that man-child. I've gotten him. And uh, this is him. Uh, That's not the one, is it? This is Cain, and this is really a murderer. But in all rationality, I think that's what we would think too. This is the one that God was talking about. This is the possibility that could be happening here. They're staking their hope on the Word of God. No doubt that they're looking for this one who will bruise... Satan. He he has stated the lie and now they're saying oh, God is the one who has the truth and, and they want to listen to Him. And, and I think what we have here is divine grace. It's through divine grace that anybody can believe a promise. There's been one of the greatest promises that could ever be made here in verse 15 and not only the deliverers come, but there's going to be a continuance of the human race where God could have you know, killed him there, and that would have been it. But so they've got um, great possibilities. There's great hope here, and I think you could say, isn't that the grace of God? And definitely His mercy that's playing into this. They know that Satan has lied to them and deceived them. God told the truth, and I think you have faith that's been planted in their hearts to believe a promise. They believe God, and consequently. He names her Eve. That's dealing with life. She accepts that name, and of course, you know, in 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 some manner, she's going to be the mother of all the living. They're going to uh, to come after her. So yes.
2: Do you think that Adam and Eve at that time were aware of the grace that had been given to them?
0: at because of their sin.
2: Yeah, do you think they were aware that you
0: know like I, I think just looking at this text here uh, absolutely if this be the case in the sense that um they're realizing that they saw a death later on uh, as as we will look in verse 21 um there has to be to, to the garments of skin. What happened here, it's a law first mentioned, we don't see any animals killed, but when you have skins, you have to be able to be thinking that there had to be a death caused here, which is really what happens in sacrifices where animal, animals were sacrificed. Their lives were taken, a death happened. Can you imagine them looking down on the ground and seeing animals that had died for them? As the skins were going to be put on them as clothes. So they're recognizing the grace that, because that could have been them. And something else took their place. And what we're getting into here is a substitutionary atonement in God's justification. I think they're realizing grace uh, that maybe they hadn't seen before. Um, I mean, God is gracious in, in creating them and, and putting them in the spot that they were. And everything was just perfect, but I don't think they realized what all um, it entailed. Uh, Being as, let's say, as innocent as they were, um, they were never glorified beings, but um, I wouldn't mind being in the spot that they were without sin ever coming. (laughs) But uh, there's still something better. Uh, yeah, God's grace is, I, I think, seen. They're, they're really, I think, experiencing this. Now, the man called his wife's name, Eve. Life. If he's going off of this this uh, promise that God has given, and I think that's very much true, um, we could have been dead. And as verse 21 appeals to us there. Yeah?
2: I know we already talked about this, but I don't remember what the answer was. Um, what do you think that they um, thought... What happened to them when he told them, you know, if you eat of this tree, then you surely die? Since they didn't know what death was, what do you think? I think we talked about this, but I don't remember.
0: Well, there hadn't been any deaths yeah. yet. Right. But we do know that... Um, when God gave a warning, they knew that they weren't supposed to do that. Whatever it is, it's a consequence.
2: not a good thing. Yeah, it's
0: not a good thing. And I think with the mind and the intelligence they have, even though they haven't experienced it, they know that this is something that they were supposed to pay attention to. This is something that is not good. Uh, of course, if they experience the death, if they, see, if they saw these animals, it doesn't say that. I don't want to imply that too much, but uh, can you imagine if that would have been the case? Something had to take their place, and I think it would be uh, like God to start showing what um, what salvation is. This is a beautiful picture of it. Um, whatever it was, with with the mind, with the intelligence that they had, which goes much higher and deeper than we have right now, I believe. Um, uh, I think there was something that they must have known. I, I've never, I can't imagine what all that meant to them. There was another, uh, another man, of course, when we look in Romans, we get a great example of Abram, a man of faith. Uh, um, whenever it was, uh, I think the situation would have been humanly impossible, and uh, yet he believed God and was accounted to him as righteousness. And you'll remember back in Genesis, Abram, A-B-R-A-M, A-B-R-A-M was known as the father of many the father of many. Okay, how many kids do you have? What's your name? Abram? How many do you have? None. And he went around like that many, many years saying none. He didn't have any children. And um, that is uh, something that people would have known um, whenever he lived with the rest of his tribe that went with him, family relations. It was a big traveling group of people that were with him. Uh, As they were in their tents, you can imagine people uh, talking about them and such and him and his wife, Sarai, and not having any children. And then eventually we know in Genesis 17 where he finally takes matters into his own hands since God is not giving us a child we need to help him out. And so he has a handmaiden. God gives a promise here, though. Uh, this is after this has already happened. Hagar bore Abram a son. We we know that, right? His name's Ishmael. About 13 years difference between him and Isaac, the one who was really promised. And now, when Abram was 99 years old. Before he had been 86. The Lord appeared to Abram, said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face. God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be... Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. What does Abraham mean? A multitude of nations. How many kids does he have now? He has one. <laughs> it, but when you have when you have him, okay, you have two.
1: <laughs>
0: From Abram, which is a, a you know many, now it's to a multitude, and he's that's what his name's going to be. It's changed and. So he has, of course, after uh, Isaac's born, you have two. And up to that time, you have one. I'm sure they laugh every time that they ask his name and he tells them what it is. And back then, names really meant something. And uh, sometimes today, they they do too. Uh, Go over to Romans 4, and and you get the New Testament uh, fulfillment on this as Paul illustrates the example of Abraham... And uh, we'll look at verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead. And we'll say this time 99. It was about as good as dead when he was 86. Right? Since he was about 100 years old, just before he turned 100. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, was she 90? Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also accredited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. It was accredited to him as righteousness. And that's what Paul does. He gives an example of faith.
2: I don't understand that because he did waver or he wouldn't have gotten
0: with Hagar. Well, what we're talking about is this is years later. He still believed God. Up to that time, yeah, he did believe God, but he thought he had to help God. But now, whenever God came along before this, even after Hagar, that incident, years later, he also promised that. And then a year, like a year later, he has that. Remember, Sarah, Sarah, I laughed, you know. And um, so, so then he, be, he believed God. He, he's, he's been believing God, but there's been a wavering. It's like we believe God, don't we? We, we? we trust Him, but we show sometimes our weakness of our faith, even in our weakness. But ultimately, we believe God, everything that He says is going to come to pass. And when, he, when you're 99 years old, and then you realize that God is going to do this, this is incredible. This this is miraculous. It's supernatural. And it would take uh, faith that God would give you to believe that. Now, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous from a human point of view. And I'm sure people just laughed, made fun of him, everything that he said. But uh, I think from God's point of view, it's not. <laughs> and so, Adam names his wife Eve, life. Eve names her son Eve. Cain, Abraham, Abram renames himself Abraham as God told him to do that all because they believe what God said. Just on a little bit of a promise. All believers, like us, believe the promise. What do we bear? We bear the name of Christ. What are we called? Christians. Like Christ, little Christs, Christians. It was actually tagged on Christians as a derogatory term at first. But I think it's a good name because it says we're of Him. We are part of Him. We take His name. Like a wife takes a name that the husband has... That's how related they are. Well, we're in Christ, and we take His name. Our names have been changed in the sense that uh, you know we're uh, we're no longer our own. We we belong to Him. We take His name. What does it What does it take in? Faith. Faith. Trusting God. Uh, the promise was death. He still saw that there was going to be life because God said there would be life, and even when there wouldn't have been, uh, you'd think, ordinarily. Uh, They believe God. Uh, Salvation comes to all those who believe God, trust in God. God provides a redemption. Uh, Faith and repentance, though, they can't come from our own flesh. Uh, God has to provide, has to make provision for sin. So when you go back to Genesis and in verse 21 of our chapter 3... The Lord God, and there it is again—His um, covenant name that He has. Uh, this Yahweh God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. This story really is about God. And Eldon, remember last week. This—this this is all about Him, isn't it, really? It's, I mean, when you focus on this you you think of the sin and and boy, you know look what they did and how they messed up and but then you really look at this and you see what a great God! I mean, to do what he did in and, and and they showed their sin manifested and it that's us <laughs> we we too, and we were somehow there in Adam, uh however that may be. It's, here there but you see in a beautiful picture here God's provision. He made garments of skin, uh, and he clothed them, and he did what needed to be done. So we get into this next verse, and we see it deals with justification. And when we look at these two verses together, who are coming right after the curse? The the curse, the judgment has been there, and 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 you know you're, you're going to by the sweat of your face you're going to eat bread till you return to the ground till you till you die because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And then boom, you hit this. Now the man called his wife's name Eve. Right after he's talking about death and the grave going back to the, the, the dirt. And what does he say? She's Eve. She's life. And all life is going to come because of her. Wow. When we look at these two verses, we see the first examples in the Bible to what we know in theology as the order of salvation. We don't see the whole thing here, obviously. But we do see something here that brings forth faith. And God is causing this to happen. Have you ever heard of the Ordo Salutis? It's it's the Latin for, you could say, the order of salvation. Them on the lines, uh, when you think of that, you think of and you don 't necessarily see that here, but you think of foreknowledge, you think of predestination, you think of the calling in time and space, and you think of the rebirth, you think of faith, you think of repentance, you think of justification, sanctification, glorification. those are all great terms aren 't they huge words, big words, the great uh, it 's something that God has planned out he 's an eternal God, we put it in our finite minds to try to try to have some kind of understandability, and even at that we can't. Uh, but the, in Reformed theology, they will use this ordo salutis to kind of help us kind of get it. But when, when you think of faith and repentance and justification, you can't really divide that up in time, so we have to be real careful. But there is something happening. If we look at it, God started it before foundation of the world, and um, then we know in time He calls us and then a lot of big things happen when he adopts us. You know, he, he you know, we have a, a, a rebirth here, and and uh, he causes us to have faith. He causes us to have repentance, uh, and he he causes us to be set apart. We're sanctified there. As far as God is concerned in Romans eight. He says we're already glorified. Now that's in our future tense, but he's not bound by time. But uh, isn't an incredible thing when you look at uh, John one thirteen. By the way, uh, uh, put in a plug. Remember remember those Monday nights or Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights, uh, Ryan's in the Book of John, fantastic book, and probably right along with Romans, probably one of the best books in the Bible about a uh, predetermining God uh, when you want to deal with election and predestination and what God's plan is for the the new birth and such. Uh, in John one thirteen, it says, and talking about believers, those who believe in His name, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. How are they born? Born again. Of God. They're born of God. It's Him that has the determination uh, for a particular person to be reborn. And so it doesn't come from our will. That's definitely a great verse against the free will of man as far as choosing salvation. Uh, look in James one eighteen, And again, this is about the determination of God. There's many scriptures. I'm not going to spend very much time on all this, but it, uh, we see that this is where it, it always starts. It always starts with God. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. He brought us forth in the exercise of His will. That's what He's doing with Adam and Eve. We don't see all of these in these two verses, but we are starting to see something. Here's a promise by God. Here's the grace of God. Here's the mercy of God involved. Here's faith coming in. It was God's grace that gave them faith. Uh, Ephesians two eight. what does it say? For by grace we're saved... Through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And, um, it could go either way, but you could see that faith is actually a gift of God, even from right there. Uh, I think that's incredible. So, even in Genesis with Adam and Eve, would you not say for them to have that faith to believe Him there? They could have continued to go with the way of Satan, uh, they could have been. Um, uh, under the influence of what they just did that they wanted to follow Him from there on out. And by their nature, they would have. But I think God intervened like He always does and granted them faith here uh, to believe that promise. Um, John 3. John three three. It's about God determining. This is the Nicodemus... Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Drop down to verse 5, I believe. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born from above. Born of water and the Spirit. It's born from God. He's talking about entering the kingdom of God. It's impossible. All these things, you cannot get in there. You cannot be born again unless it's from God. And that corresponds to conviction of sin and and repentance, faith in Christ, all of those. That's where God comes in and and does that. We know that later on, if you want to look in Romans, Romans 12, or you look in Ephesians 4, it speaks of sanctification. 1 John, is uh, you have a lot about sanctification there. Romans 8 adds justification and glorification very clearly, doesn't it? So, we see that God gives a glimpse of what He does in our verse 20 and 21 of Genesis. But, the scripture just unfolds all of these things. And you can find it in many passages, but you you think of Romans and you definitely think of uh, glorification. You think of justification so much in Romans. Romans 4, we used Abraham. Uh, Conviction of sin, judgment, faith, uh, repentance, justification, all that's happening. So what's their need? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What did they do as soon as they realized that they sinned? What their eyes were opened and what did they do immediately? Yeah,
1: fig
0: leaves. Got the fig leaves. There's there's your other religion. That's that's there's really two religions and that's the fig leaf religion. And that's trying to do something. Do something on your own. And that's all, That's the best that mankind can do. And, and before God, it's a stench. Because <laughs> uh, it will never please God. They saw their nakedness. They sewed these fig leaves together. And because of the result of sin, they stood in a total wrong relationship with God. They now had a wrong relationship between themselves and, and just their own, their own person with one another. Who knows what would have happened, you know? Well, he's already blaming it on Eve, isn't he? Remember? Got a wrong relation happening there. So they tried to cover this this up. They want to hide their shame. They put up a front back in verse 7 of chapter 3. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And what a ridiculous sight that was before God. Uh, Totally inadequate. That covering that they have, that clothing, the robes of unrighteousness is really what they have. Uh, The good works are fig leaves. Not sufficient. Totally insufficient. You've heard of insufficient funds? Insufficient clothes here before this holy God. Religious duties. Doing religious duties, even though those religious duties can be good... Religious duties, just to be doing religious duties, because somehow it'll please God and you'll get points, is a stench before God. You can't stand before God with if it's concerning that. I think in Romans chapter two. You have the Jews and uh, where Paul has condemned the Gentiles, and of course the Jew would say, "Oh yeah," but. Uh, Look at us. You know, we're we're good people. Or, or the righteous people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. The, the ones who are morally good people and, and uh, they do good things as far as they think. He says in verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment for in that which you judge another. You condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that The judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things, but do you suppose this, old man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds according to his deeds he's going to pay them for their deeds well that's the fig leaves that's the whatever it is that you're you're going to cover up Um, it's not suitable to God uh, here's where His mercy, His grace comes in. He He drives us to repentance, and it's His kindness that that He does that. God has to provide the covering. He has to provide a suitable atonement. Remember uh, the uh, atonements dealing with the covering. You think of the mercy seat. It's to cover our sin, to take it away. Only God can provide that covering. Nobody, nobody can do that. Uh, we can't do it ourselves. And this is the first glimpse that we see in Scripture. And it's going to be multiplied time after time as we see it later come through a uh, nation of Israel and uh, the practice of sacrificial animals that they had sacrificed every day of the week. And then they had festivals. All that was a picture of uh, what was to come and it was all pointing to Christ. All those were just pictures. So God confirmed their need and so He made the garments of skin. Yeah, they were right. They needed to be covered but they didn't know that it had to be from God so He confirms that. You look in John 1.29 and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, It's His righteousness. It's His righteousness that has to be our covering. So that's why uh, I know some people would say, well, you're awful fundamental when you say he has to kill an animal. But, uh, and it doesn't say it. And I don't want to read into the text, but because you will see later on throughout um, the rest of Scripture sacrificial animals that are to take the place of, um, of man. It's called substitutionary atonement. Uh, I don't think you can take the well. God could do that, he, he, but I don't think you can take the skin of an animal um, uh, without killing him. God could; he could have just, you know, created some skins and done that. But I think because of this, uh, I call it the law of first mention. Knowing what the rest of Scripture does, um, I think you have what is the first death in the Bible, first time in history. God takes an innocent animal. And what we mean by innocent is that they didn't deserve to, to be killed uh, later on. The, the, the sacrificial lambs, the goats, the, the bulls, they didn't do any sin, but the, the people did, and all the people did. So God takes one of these animals, which is not disobedient, and then kills them, and who knows, um, have to wonder if they saw that. He covers Adam and Eve with the skins and He introduces the nature of atonement. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, He became sin for us. The picture is on the animals as you see that it um, you know, evolves into a great sacrificial system eventually um, that we will see. And when you would go like, let's say... Um, uh, let's say, let's take Passover. You'd have one animal for a family. You were, was it 20? You couldn't have more than 20 in a household when you had that Passover. And that was represent family. When you had the Day of Atonement, it was one animal that was to be taking the place of the whole nation. And then you have Christ on the cross, and there is that one perfect sacrifice the one substitute for the whole of the Lamb takes away the sin of the world. All the ones who are going to be His spread out all over the world, all the nations, tribes, and tongues. And um, so we have that substitutionary atonement. Big words, aren't they? Taking the place of. And I think that's why that's so important. You look in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace with God was laid on Him and by His stripes, His death, we are all healed. Right out of that great Isaiah 53. And um, of course in all the prophetical... Sections and uh, all those books that uh, deal with that, the Psalms, and just all throughout Scripture, you see the Messiah and how he was to uh, take our place, the spotless Lamb. What a, One of the what a picture!
5: You is the reason for the killing of the animal and making skins, clothes out of skins, was that there was blood involved? There had to be the shedding of blood. Exactly. And the big leaf was man's attempt to do it without the shedding of blood. And there's many churches in this town right now that say there's other ways to get to God and to receive salvation without Jesus Christ going to the church, the cross, and shedding his blood.
4: That's
0: right.
5: And that's a big leaf trying to do it their own way.
0: Did did you, um, and you probably saw it quite a bit uh, in the... In the 1900s, and and I would say it probably started even way before that, but the 40s, the 50s, did we start seeing some of the liberal churches start to take the blood out of the message. And then we started seeing it being taken out of the songs, the hymns. And, of course, we think of the song like nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ is, um, you know, key. I mean that's that's dealing with the whole idea of the sacrificial atonement. That's that's what that's the focus, isn't it? And
5: that was the killing and the animal to cover.
0: And what happens when we take that out? We don't have any covering, do we? We're back to the fig leaves.
2: How come for the poor people he took, like the the wheat or the
5: grainer? How did that work? Well, for the blood sacrifice, he took a death. Uh so that was sheep. Yeah.
1: Well, there were other
5: sacrifices where they used, they all used grain and uh, other things other than the blood. But for the atonement sacrifice, it was either a lamb or a goat or a heifer. If you couldn't afford that, you'd get down to where you
2: could use
5: one.
2: So for the the atonement was the blood one, but the grain one might have been for one of the other other like I I I don't know. was a different like offering a guilt offering the different offerings yeah, yeah. and the different offering. But
0: the dove would be for the for the poor people. So it was available to even them.
2: I know. I just yeah. read so many different ones, and they kind of started going more together. Have you been Leviticus? Yeah. Worship, right? The Old
4: Testament. There's different, just like today. We all our worship through Christ, but we we sing, we give our time and offerings. <laughs> No dove and gobbler. Yeah,
1: there's no <laughs> <in> <laughs> <laughs> Come on, uh, get that. Just like we the worship,
4: the worship of waste ways. Those, there's a lot of offerings that were just ways to express gratitude and thanks to God. You know, mm-hmm. especially their primary today. The our primary sustenance is just cash, but for them, it's very, very little cash in all crops. So we give what we have. We give our money. They give what they have. They give their their livestock and their grain, you know, as a as a token of worship to God. Not within the expectation of atonement, though. But I think when right, I look at the the sacrifice and even the dove, the the dove for me has been the biggest one. A, it just graphically God graphically depicted how to kill the dove, you know like rip its head off and tear it in two and drain blood out violent why do that you know but it's the reason for the blood sacrifice is because God God poured he had wrath for us and so he He provided a way to pour out that wrath on something else you know and uh, that that wrath was graphically depicted on the animals but it it's even more graphically depicted on the cross. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our wrath that was poured out. That was Adam and Eve's wrath that was poured out on those
0: animals in a sense, in a in a foreshadowing sense. <coughs> yeah, that's um uh, there it is. Uh, I mean we're seeing that um that gospel right right there, right here in, in Genesis. Um the, the Hebrews nine twenty two um And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's the heart of this. When you get into chapter 4, you see uh, Cain and Abel, and there is a right sacrifice, and then there is a wrong sacrifice. And, uh, of course, we know Abel brought the animal, and that's what God expected. Uh, it's, it's the shedding of blood. Uh, not just an attitude there, but there was a matter of obedience. He could have gotten and say, well, you know, hey, he ro- raised uh, vegetables, and, and so therefore he brought the best that he had. But uh, God uh, has a picture of uh, the blood having to be um, spilled and there has to be a violent death. Matter of fact, at the Passover, you would have a lamb and you would bring it into your family for days. And this little lamb becomes like a pet. You begin to know that little that little lamb. You know how gentle they are and everything. The kids are petting it and everything. And then you take that up to the altar and you slit its throat as the blood comes gushing out. The violence. The, there's that violence again.
2: The more Leviticus I've been reading, the more I'm like, man, that that area had to stink.
0: Oh, oh, it it, it did. I mean,
2: because there was like blood thrown everywhere, and I mean, no wonder they had to have the incense because I mean, like God, <laughs> it would have really smelled bad.
0: Well, you know, you got a great point. They they felt this, they saw it, <clears throat> they, they smelled it. All their senses took that in. You know, and and when we have communion, you, you you taste the bread and you drink from the vine, and and you're experiencing all of that. You know, that's no that's not a sacrificial meal now. You know, I'm not comparing, but I'm saying there's an experience. It's all around you, and yeah, it was real. They knew that there was death all around them. They smelled it. They felt it. I mean, th- and there was violence there, and that's what happened. When you think of the death of Christ you think of the violent death that was caused on him our lord and savior and that's all the more meaning to us isn't it but that's where our forgiveness wa- was done that's where we were justified that's what we are atoned for and Can you you're quite incredible just
4: all, the, all the blood that you the blood.
1: and then to read the author say that the blood of
3: not take away sin it and they and they had to wash constantly as well, wash themselves. They, they had, had that
0: labor prayers. there, right. Yeah.
3: So it was just constant. Uh but you know, God refers um, to the you know, life is in the blood. And he uh of course he told you was know, Cain that, you know, Abel's blood cried out to him on the ground. So God makes some things very important and, Peter, first year the one I've seen, called
0: Christ's blood precious. The precious blood. Yeah. It's it's central. It's so a it's the focus.
1: So it's to the take heart.
3: take
0: it out of the church, you know. oh goodness. It's it, the... Yeah, Yeah, was pictured all through the Old Testament. Now you can see why those same people don't like the Old Testament. But it's there in the New Testament, isn't it? That's what the cross was all about. Just to close this up, we're done here. Uh, by the way, I have a clock I can look at now, you know, straight ahead. <laughs> I think somebody put that up there where I can see that.
1: <laughs>
0: I have no excuse. <laughs> Real quick, like, in Matthew 22, and uh, you know the story where you have the, the marriage feast and then people are invited. And anyway, uh, to close this out, um, I'm probably doing this injustice, but... This is about the two religions. Here's your fig leaves or skin. You've got to have to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. All right. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guest, remember this man? He saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He just came sauntering in. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? How did you get in here? You, you can't do that. And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The point is, is that he didn't have the right clothes on. The clothes that were the wedding garments. The the wedding there uh, was ready, and you come in with what you are are to have on. And of course, we can only have the the robes of righteousness. Through Christ. And that's the only way that God will accept us. Uh, it's what Christ did. And uh, the, all the other religions, they're, they're that other religion. Uh, they're the fig leaf religion or the, or the skins <laughs> religion, which is their right idol. Anyway, faith and justification. So we get some uh, Reformed theology right here in verse 20 and 21 of Genesis. Had to work that in somehow, didn't we? Does it fit? Do those two verses kind of fit in now with the cursing? God's a merciful God, isn't He? Hey, uh, let's let's call it a prayer. and uh, if I can ask Brian to close us there,
4: Father, it's uh, it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable reality that uh, that there is no. Other uh, atonement for us, for the the filth that we are and are covered in, Lord. That there's, that there's just nothing in the entire universe that can appease even an ounce of your wrath. Save your Son, Lord, and uh, we put all of our hope in Him, not in a bull or a goat or even an offering of wheat or produce or money, but in Christ and Christ alone, Lord. He is our hope and our righteousness and all of our standing before You, Lord. We we just we receive Him and trust in Him and look to Him alone and um, pray that You would just this week make us make us more righteous as You've already declared us to be in Your Son. We pray in His name, Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. <laughs> That's <hard> <laughs> Thank you. I the whole matter. Thank you. I appreciate it. 90 <laughs> So how do we do it? Yeah. Yeah, do know. I do Maybe okay. it a the paper? you. Oh, I And can't go, it going?